Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today, are Manchester City bottle jobs after their Champions League semi-final exit to Real Madrid? We'll look ahead to their final against Liverpool after they came past Villarreal with a bit of a scare. We'll also talk about whether the results this week affect the Premier League title race. So much for us to discuss. We'll also get the latest on Chelsea. Big developments in terms of Roman Abramovich's ownership. And we'll look ahead to the playoffs, which begin in the EFL with League One. This is the game. Hello again, welcome to the Game Podcast. I'm Hugh Wisencroft alongside Ian Hawkey and Tom Clark, and today we are joined by Owen Slot, our chief sports writer who covered both the Manchester City semi-finals and uh, is in Madrid at the moment, Owen? Indeed I am. I'm still slightly shell-shocked from last night. Um, it was one of those absolute horrors to be a journalist at when you think you finish your story at the 89th minute and you're quite happy with life and then, um, and, and then the world turns itself upside down. This happened slightly too often in, in, in our profession but but lord it's hell when it does happen you know at one of the sort of greatest most amazing sports events of all time well that's how it feels and then the world just turns upside down yes i'm, I'm sure it's a beautiful rewrite though in the times right now uh, reflecting on what was uh, an incredible end to a champions league semi-final manchester city losing 3-1 to real madrid in spain after extra time, but after 91 minutes, they were going through with a, with a little bit of room to spare as well. Owen, just describe to us the night in Madrid, the atmosphere inside the Bernabeu and how the tide was turned. The atmosphere and, and, and the, the noise and the spirit around the game itself um, felt... Um, you know, massive. It 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 it, it, it matched the occasion. Uh, you know, the 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 Bernabeu is 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 a, is a one of the astonishing great stadia, and the the noise was massive. And they um uh, the fans unfurled at one end. There's there's a tradition where they'll unfurl a massive flag banner, and um uh, the the banner said um this was before the game uh, another great night uh, um. At the another another gate night from the kings of Europe, and then a, a, a massive banner the size the size of two tiers was dropped down from one to from top from the middle tier to, to the bottom, which was was just a, a massive image of a 
Karim Benzema, and it was kind of like, well, we we all know where we're going here. And the the the, the fans were um, the, the fans were telling you the story before it happened. Uh, but but then it seemed that the, the, the team itself um, hadn't read the script. Uh, we you know we we saw we'd seen the game the previous week and uh, and that that was such a sort of a joyful piece of entertainment that you know regardless of who won or whatever and you put those two teams together and um, and, and you know something amazing happened. So you know were we going to get a sequel? We, well, we got nothing of the sort. It was uh, the worst sequel of all time, really, with KG um, not particularly. Um, uh, technically uh, excellent football uh, and um, City just seemed to have this grasp on the game which they wouldn't give up and then they got their goal and the grasp was even even stronger and there was the, 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 I kind of felt the crowd got, got louder towards um, to, in the last half hour of the game when, when you, you felt that their team's heart was petering out or, or you know foolishly he felt that might have been the case because you were just wondering when when are they going to do something you know when is that hot streak of theirs going to going to come and it just seemed like it just wouldn't it's, it's not going to happen is it Ian were you surprised or were you one of those having watched so much of Madrid after 90 minutes saying don't worry what six minutes added on they'll be fine I saw it coming, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I, I was astonished. Um, and, and also, the, I mean, as Owen says, you know, they, they really didn't have a lot of pizzazz, a lot of verve last night, for, well, for almost all of last night. And, and then, of course, and you started, then the Warriors started leaving. You know, Casemiro was off, Modric was off, Tony Cross was off. Um, and you thought, well, okay, you know, they need a little bit of energy at least, and you know that's been helpful before. But um, you know, the, the kids were on. How are the kids going to um, wrestle back this this match from uh, the immense expertise of of Manchester City? Um, so uh, no, I was absolutely astonished. Um, I mean, Rodrigo Rodrigo is a little bit of a, a lucky charm, but you know, this is. Uh, this is luckier than he's ever been before. That's for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, amazing. I'm, I'm, I'm still digesting it as, as, as Owen is. Um, but uh, you know, Ancelotti comes out of this looking very, very wise again, doesn't he? He does. We're going to come to his greatness a little bit later on as well. Um, but let's deal with this match in itself, Tom Clark. Um, I can't imagine what it's like being a Manchester City fan because I'm a Manchester United supporter, as you know, and I was fuming at the end of this game, absolutely fuming. Are Manchester City bottle jobs, Tom? I think we have to say, yes, they are. They approach, I honestly can't stand the laissez-faire attitude, the arrogance that Manchester City have as a football team that they play in such a beautiful and elegant way. They're like, they're like the aristocracy of football. It's just one of those things where they don't want to get, they don't want to get under their fingernails dirty. Come I can't on, man. stand you can't. it. You, you can't cannot be saying give, that. You cannot, you cannot lose that match. You cannot lose that match. You can't. It's absolutely fair for you to say that. And I'm sure there are lots of Manchester City fans who, like you, were absolutely distraught um, at the final result. But you cannot accuse Manchester City at the moment, this season, of lacking some of those qualities that you've just talked about when they play 
the previous round against Atletico Madrid like they did. And we were all going, oh, what brilliant gamesmanship, what brilliant shithousery, oh, they superb, great. They should have no, lost but, that game. Okay, well, so hang on. You can't sit there and go, oh, they should have lost that game. Well done for, you know, pulling out the goods in terms of being tough. And then this time... I, this this was something beyond that. No, they were that. fortunate yes. not to bottle the round before, and then they no, bottled come this on, round. Man. Come on, absolutely, man. You, they like, do. You're, you're close to a gen, a gen, being an agenda gender person here with uh, your Pep and City chat. Hugh, uh, it's getting a bit worrying. I haven't even mentioned him yet. Don't worry, I'll come to him later. I mean, you, if you're going to be pinning this on Pep Guardiola, then I'm really, I'm truly lost for words. Um, it was extraordinary, and they did something happened, but I'm, I'm. I'm heading towards Alison Rudd territory here and making it all mythical because it was absolutely bizarre. I'd never witnessed and watched anything like it. I'm trying, it was so bizarre that I'm, I've come up with a completely bizarre analogy for it, which I don't know if any of you have ever played Mario Kart, the video game, but there's a moment when if you're driving a car, you can get a kind of weapon which stops all your fellow racers from moving as quickly as you. And it kind of like paralyzes all the other cars and you kind of scoot through and you end up winning the race. It was like that happened to the entire city team for the last six minutes. It was like they something kind of transcended over the stadium. It was utterly bizarre. I don't think we can even get into oh, they are oh, the arrogance and all this kind of stuff. They deserve to be arrogant. They were the better team over two legs. I, I'm 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 ups, I'm as upset as you, Hugh, but I'm not upset for the same reason. I'm upset that the let you know, the less talented team went through that we're now going to have a, a final between two teams that's going to be a completely different match to the two best teams in Europe going head-to-head. I'm upset in those ways, and I find some of the kind of strength of the reaction towards City, be it people like you who seem to be completely infuriated by them, and then other people who seem to be utterly delighted that they've blown it again, all from an English point of view, I find it completely bizarre when they give us so much joy as a football team. I find it very strange. Can we just ask Ian if he's played Mario Kart recently? (laughs) (laughs) Owen, I'm not that much older than you. Come on, you both know what I mean. You both played Super Nintendo. I know you were both on the snares. Come on, guys. Um, No, listen, I I know what you're saying there, Tom. Um, But the reason that I'm disappointed in Manchester City is when they were missing all those chances in the first leg, there was an arrogance to, well, look, at we're on top and it's inevitable that we'll, you know, we'll we'll go out there and we'll put in a positive performance. We might get the win, but, you know, not to worry type thing. Honestly, the fact that they didn't win that first game by at least two goals was disastrous. As soon as they went, it was an open game. We spoke about it last week. It was end-to-end. You go two goals up. You should, at that point in time, be... And and listen, this is what I don't like. They don't have that gear in them. They don't have that shift in them that I think even a Liverpool do in terms of shutting up shop. In terms of doing that old-school English thing of getting it down the channel, working the throw-ins, you know, pinning them in the corner, making sure the ball doesn't come back to your end still trying to pass it out under that much pressure for me is naive in the extreme. We know how good they are at it. We know it's their game. It was the wrong time. Jao Cancelo at right back, trying a lofted pass down the, the touchline. Who did that? Chelsea, N'Golo Conte. What happened? Real Madrid scored immediately. He did the same thing last night. It went to the other side. It got crossed in. Second goal. I, I just, I, I actually cannot believe that we're talking about a, a tie of that immense um, importance and those basics of football 
that, that teams seem to have forgotten. You know, we, we all laugh about teams trying to pass out from the back when they're under huge pressure. When we talk about teams in the FA Cup, you know, from the lower leagues working against the press of Premier League clubs and still trying to pass it out and not just hitting that channel ball. Yeah, you can do it in a Champions League semi-final as well, by the way. To lose your marker in the way that Jao Cancelo did, Karim Benzema allowing that much space between you and him, but then having not noticed he was there to make basically no effort to try and close it down the cross before Rodrigo scores the other goal on the other side. Grealish is the only player out there that goes to two Real Madrid players. I, I actually, uh, it's basics of football. I cannot believe what Manchester city did and to turn around and say they panicked surely as a coach, the fundamentals of your team are so strong. The minimum that you can ask for them is, you know, this is a huge high intensity, high pressure moment close the cross down. Just close the cross down. You need to do everything you can in that situation to make sure the ball doesn't come into the box. And when it does, there's two players who are unmarked. That is a capitulation. That's a collapse. That is a bottle job. I agree with the technical points of what you're saying in terms of Cancelo playing the ball out and Grealish not closing the cross down. But the overall... Uh, narrative, sorry, I've used my favourite word again, but with City is we we get into this bottle job and instead we don't look at Thibaut Courtois' unbelievable stud save from Jack Grealish, which everyone's... And again, everyone's like, oh, Grealish, those missed chances. Actually, one of them was an unbelievable save, which would have gone in off the post, probably off the bottom corner. Also, you're talking about Cancelo losing his marker. He'd shifted from playing left-back to right-back because Manchester City's best player on the night for me, Kyle Walker, had been injured and goes off, which is actually terrible luck for Manchester City. So there are all these other factors which never get mentioned. You know, Walker... I'd never seen Pep do that with Walker where he was clearly already injured. And Pep was saying, please stay on. Not just because of the great battle he was having with Vinicius, but because Pep knew that defensively that cover at the back post was going to be important. And so it proved because he's injured, he goes off, Cancelo switches and, and the mistakes happened. So I agree with your technical assessment of those moments where they conceded goals, but I think we have to factor in some other things, don't we, into the overall discussion as to why this happened rather than just blankly saying City have bottled it again. Owen, did they bottle it again? Am I wrong or is Tom right? <laughs> I think you're both right. Uh, the, 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 um, we, could ha we could write a whole book on the, uh, on the sports psychology of the last um, uh, 35 minutes of that game, couldn't we? The, you, you've got to take into... What, what you're saying is you, you're outraged that City were not better at, um, at, at defending their, their pathway through to the final. Well, that, that's a fair point, but, but PSG didn't do it in, in the last 16 and, and Chelsea didn't do it in the... Um, in, in the quarterfinal, either you know this is this is this is re repeat behaviour um, uh, from from Real Madrid, who 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 for some reason, I mean, I, I I felt slightly outraged that they didn't start playing football until the 89th minute myself. Um, and what's the what's the sports psychology of a, of a team that that can can sit and wait and wait and then and then suddenly. Hit hit their hot streak, and I think I think that's fascinating. That, that once they've scored a goal, then then they're almost unstoppable. I mean, momentum in, in sport is something that we we talk about a lot. But d d is there a, is there a football team ever who who sniffs momentum like that, and then you just can't shift them off it? Uh, but but still, you're you're right. From from one from that first goal, 
City did not play smart football. City, what what was what what's in their heads? <clears throat> are they are they being reminded of, of past failures? Is, is there does fear at that point come into it? Do you you know you, you would have thought that Pep's gone through this over and over again. That um you know you're learning from your, your mistakes and you won't do it again. But actually, it was a repeat mistake. Um, they, they'll go back and and they'll they'll look at all the things that the, that you've talked about and wonder if they should have done things differently and why didn't they do things differently and. Why did Cancelo not not close down and um, all, all these things that sort of freeze a, a sportsman's um, mind in sort of in the most uh, thrilling sort of a um, uh, epicenter of, the, of, a, of your sporting life almost you know what what makes you think clearly and what doesn't I mean that that's kind of what get what brings us back to the to to the stadium or to the sports pages isn't it um, but yeah. <laughs> That 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 ten minute period was was shocking, and 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 they paid for it. Yeah, it was another Manchester City collapse. Um, and those of those of you that are regular listeners will know I'm infurious with them because I honestly don't believe a team that is that good can dominate a football match. And they did, I think, for most of that game, the vast majority dominate the game and not even draw it, lose the game. And you can talk about all the scenarios and all of the injuries. Real Madrid were affected too, by the way, um, and they took off, as Ian pointed out, some of their big names. Kevin De Bruyne's substitution for me by Pep Guardiola, I, 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 I can't, I can't fathom it. This is, no, man, you're doing it. retrospect. You're doing retrospective it. analysis no, right now. You no, are. I am Manchester not. City's these best midfielder players, last night. These Manchester are the City's players. These are the decisions which win you trophies. The best no, players man, in the world. Doing retros- you're you're doing telling me that Jürgen Klopp, Jürgen Klopp, in that scenario, a goal up on aggregate, takes off Mohamed Salah. Yeah, Do you think probably. he would? I bet he probably no, he has done in previous times. Absolutely yes, he not. Of course he no, has, he would he's not. got loads of other forwards. He's got no, Luis he Diaz, who we're going to talk Salah, about. No, being Salah didn't come off. I, I think he came off when they finally got the fifth three goals up against Villarreal. I mean, your best players, and we're talking about the best players in the world who have delivered decisive moments in games of this magnitude before in the shape of Kevin De Bruyne need to stay on the pitch until they, until they can't, until they, no, I'm not. I'm absolutely not. Because you tweet, you even tweeted last night when the goal went in. Oh, saying, is he serious? Yeah, but is he serious taking Kevin De Bruyne you then he scored, quite yeah, rightly they scored a minute out, later. Yeah, they scored a minute later. Set up by Bernardo Silva, who is not only City's best midfielder on the night, he's also been City's best midfielder all season. So yes, fine, take De Bruyne off, but you've also got Gundogan coming on. Yeah, you 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 can't do. Oh, well, he took De Bruyne off. De Bruyne was looking a little bit unfit towards the end of the game. They've got the rest of the season to go through. Him taking De Bruyne off and putting Gundogan on is not the reason that that happened. Like, it's not the reason for the overall thing. And I'm sure Ian will make the point. Some of the Real subs, you're talking about taking experienced players off. They changed the game. You know, some of those players that he brought on, they were superb. So, yeah, yes, in in retrospect, you go, oh, yeah, what if De Bruyne there, there was a been on the pitch? Wasn't there? The, the difference was Real Madrid needed to change it because they, weren't, they were being dominated, whereas Manchester City were dominating at that point in time. I, I, just, I just think that's retrospective analysis. I don't think... What is it about De Bruyne that that, um, that made him play um, play one of his most average uh, uh, games of the entire season? Um, you, you, t- talking about his, his substitution, it, the, the cliche about um, big players rise to big occasions. I thought I thought it was going to be a, a De Bruyne night last night, um, and 
I, I was following him for the first 20 minutes of the game because I thought that that might be what I'm writing about. Uh, I, I've not seen him play, uh, lose possession so often, have such a poor first touch uh, uh, probably ever. Um, on, you know, again, what we're saying, one of the biggest nights of his life. Uh, again, is that, that I thought that was a, the psychology of that was interesting. By the way, I, I agree with all of that. I don't think he played well. That, that's not my point. I, I, you know, all the City fans were pointing out to me on social media, he should have been taken off. He was playing really badly. But for me, who, who, if we were to say who's Manchester City's talisman, who would you say? Bernardo Silva. Do you think Karim Benzema would have got substituted even if but he, he did. He got substituted in, in extra time. Well, in extra time? Yeah, but City could have scored and they'd have gone to penalties and then they wouldn't have had Karim Benzema to take a penalty. And we'd all been going, Ancelotti is an idiot. And instead, we're going to talk about what a genius he is. Yeah, okay. I'd leave De Bruyne on because he, even though he had uh, one of his worst games ever, you, you you just know that he's a guy who can do something, and 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 you need you need to keep him there. Uh, Ian, you, you're you're now um, you're now Pep. Are you, are you keeping him on or off? <laughs> well, it, I'm, how far away is Hugh? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I, I, I certainly don't have such a strong opinion on that. No, I, 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 yeah, he wasn't playing well, and you know, Gundogan is is a good fit for the circumstances, and and you know, a very very trusted footballer. So I, I I'm not apoplectic about that decision, um, and nor nor do I think we can condemn. City for not being practical, taking the ball into the corners and so on. Bringing on Grealish was a good idea. And as Tom's pointed out, it it was millimetres away from, from being the best idea ever. So, you know, I, I think, you know, you can see, you can see Pep's strategy and you can see that there was a, there was a clarity about it. And I'm not sure if you can condemn it quite as fiercely as some people want to. Let's quickly shift on to Real Madrid. I won't even mention the lack of a striker at Manchester City, by the way. Uh, another great comeback, another great comeback from Real Madrid, who last week I think I described as the vultures of European football. They just circle, waiting for that mistake, and they pick the flesh off the bones of every error of their opponents, or at least they have done in this year's knockouts. Um, I don't know how they do it, Ian. I, I don't know if there is something going on with Carlo Ancelotti that he's given them an extra uh, mentality, level of mentality to, to make them get over the line or whether you believe there were tactical changes on the evening that um, that affected the outcome. I mean, very much so. There's, there's, a, there's a paradox about um, Ancelotti's Madrid in the sense that um, you, you absolutely know his first 11 or, or 10 of them all the time. Um, and sometimes he's criticised for that, you know, that 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 he's a little bit too rigid, um, doesn't like to rotate unless there's um, unless there's a, a very good reason for doing so. But what but what what's been very apparent throughout this 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 amazing run is that um, he's he's got a really really sophisticated or or well thought out plan B, and and you know it's it, it's an age thing essentially. You take off the old guys, and you bring on um, Camavinga and Rodrigo. Most of all, and the energy levels change, and it and that's enough to um, to stir these amazing comebacks. The Ancelotti legacy is now looking really good because this is an old team, but but you know he has pointed the way to quite a formidable next generation. Uh, you know, with these with these forty five minute half hour. 
um, stretches of, uh, you know, history-making stuff. I, I thought Kamavinga again last night was was excellent. And it, the, the kid's 19, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a Champions League semi-final and, and he, you know, seizes control of it. It's, um, and, and Danny Ceballos, remember him from Arsenal? We've hardly seen him, you know, for two years. And, and that was a really good substitution. That was a better substitution than any of the substitutions Guardiola made. Yeah, Tony Cruz putting four laughing emojis on Twitter. I thought that's a strange reaction for someone that's about to lose their place in the midfield. Having watched that game last night because I thought Eduardo Camavinga was was excellent from the bench. And that was um, game-changing in many ways. And after the match, loads of people talking about Carlo Ancelotti and whether he should be considered the greatest manager of all time, especially if he wins a fourth European Cup this year. I think he's got 21 honours in all. Where do you think he ranks, Owen, amongst the all-time greats? Come on, top 10, top 5? It's, it's an easy question. Yeah, well, I mean, we could go back to Everton, couldn't we? Uh, he's not, he was the great, <laughs> he's the greatest Everton manager of all time. <laughs> Jeez, I, 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 don't, I don't really know. I, I'm sure, I would say sure, surely he's top 10. What, what, what I think, um, what, 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 what I'd like to understand more, but that's part of the, the manager's art that we're not, we're, that we don't get access to, we're not, we're not in the dressing room, is, is how he's managed to, uh, to, to bring out the, these performances from this aging team, as you as you say, that that they're not super drilled. That they're, they're 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 given a freedom that's different to to say City. That they're um, uh, that they ha- they have a, a kind of a more of a laissez faire, which reflects Ancelotti's personality somewhat, um, which you know you could you could never see um, a Pep Guardiola team. Um, Doing anything remotely the way they do, but but what what is it that he's he's done and what is it that is what is it that he's put into their heads that 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 uh, allows them to play that way and also um, uh, um, prevents them ever from be- believing that they're beaten. Um, that's kind 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 of what he's done here. Um, but but he has pulled off um, different. Um, Different acts of managerial brilliance at, at other clubs. So, um, is that is that variety of of, uh, of delivery or, or expertise that I, I think is extraordinary? Because you, you kind of look at Mourinho and he he, he sort of um, you know if you're going to do comparisons, he's 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 been the same, he's tried to input the same. Um, thinking uh, into wherever he's gone, you know, he's got a way and it's my way or the highway. And I think Ancelotti's variety is is, um, something that stands him apart. Does that make any sense? Absolutely. Ian, you can give me a number. (laughs) He's had time to work, write his little list down. (laughs) I've got a massive, massive page of equations here. Yeah, so uh, certainly top five. um, And, you know, in the... In this century, um, top one or two for sure. The, the thing about him is, and this is partly our fault, I think, as as the media, he he doesn't, as Owen suggests, he doesn't walk around with this, you know, massive theoretical box of dogmas that he needs to present at every press conference. So perhaps we pay him a little less attention because of that. And I think Owen's right. There's when when the drilling is so much a part of your manifesto as a, a manager. When it goes wrong, as it did for City last night, you 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 imagine that these players somehow don't think for themselves enough because you know they're 
their script is so exacting and you can then say that Real Madrid's you know triumphed because they thought for themselves and were able to be resourceful and and yeah the, the self-belief is clearly important and clearly the, the the coach has a lot to do with that. Owen, I know you're going to have to leave us very, very soon. Later on in the podcast, after we've spoken about Liverpool, we will uh, look ahead to the final. I just wanted your views on Real Madrid in that final. Do you think they will have enough to possibly get the job done against Liverpool? I'm instinctively going to say no, because when I last looked at the fixture list, they don't get a second leg back at the Bernabeu. So that's um, that's going to stand against them. Uh, you know, that, that's that, that's where they've come good in the last three rounds. <clears throat> and I think that um, Liverpool are, are a better side than them, just as I thought that Manchester City were a better side than them. Um, uh, so, so, so my answer to that is no. I'll, I'll just leave, leave you with one, one thought. But the hotel I'm staying in is just up the road from from the stadium, and um, I, I wandered down this morning just to see what it would look like. Um, you know, I was kind of expecting the place to, to be submerged under a, a mountain of beer cans and, and wine bottles and, and the like. Um, but uh, but life was just going on as normal. The the the, the street cleaners had done a, a phenomenal job. The uh, the the two sort of coffee shops just on the corner were were, were, were doing business and, and the florist was selling flowers and it was it was a kind of a, it, it was an extraordinary thing to think where where we'd been just a few hours beforehand the guy running the coffee shop said he'd been open till 4 a.m um so serving serving beer and beer and, and everything a lot stronger and, and suddenly suddenly life was life was just going on as if as if nothing had happened here the day before um it, it it kind of um, put put what we're talking about the, sort of this the magic of last night or whatever you want to call it, but felt like a magical night. It was like you, you sort of click your finger and suddenly it's gone. Um, can they can they get that magic again uh, back again in in Paris? Well, they they, they surely they they have to they have to play more they can't they can't wait like you say a vulture waiting for that mistake by the way i wish i'd had that metaphor when i was writing last night i should have should have poached it from you ages ago <laughs> owen um thank you so much for joining us on the game podcast hopefully we'll speak to you again soon have a safe journey back from madrid we'll continue our conversation on the champions league semi-finals next 
Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So, Real Madrid will face Liverpool in the Champions League final for 2022. Um, We'll look ahead to that final shortly. First, event at El Madrigal on Tuesday night where Liverpool uh, took a 2-0 first leg lead and were given an almighty scare by Villarreal. 2-0 down at halftime. They won the match 3-2 in the end. The tie 5-2 on aggregate. But I did want to talk about that first half performance because it's very rare we see weakness from Liverpool. They are, for many people, the best team in the world right now. And my Liverpool mates were saying to me, they they said, we watch Liverpool every week and they were affected by the occasion. And I said, what? (laughs) Taking a two-goal lead to little old Villarreal, affected by the occasion, it can't be Tom Clark, the side that has played what? two Champions League finals in the last few years would be that affected taking a two-goal lead into a semi-final second leg. I know, the arrogance, Hugh. The arrogance. Outrageous. They should, Excuses they should everywhere. Hung, drawn and quartered, just like Manchester <laughs> City for their arrogance. Well, no, but then to flip that on its head, as I've been doing for this podcast so far, I, that is a credit to Villarreal and the way that they started the game. You know, their 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 movement, their pressing in the early stages very much mirrored the atmosphere in terms of it, it, its intensity. Um, I think we can give Liverpool a little bit of, uh, cut them a bit of slack, sorry, for for that kind of start, um, given how you, you can't underestimate how the uh, sheer dominance that they showed in the first leg might have come into play because you then go into the second leg and you're, you can be prepared all you want. You can do all the research, but you don't know necessarily what you're going to get because you know, you you know going into the game. Well, they're not going to play like that again because they need to win. They need to come at us. But you don't know. Are they going to kind of wait? Are they going to try and get nil nil at half time and then come at us? Are they going to come at us straight away? So I think to be fair to Liverpool, they were probably waiting to see what happened and got slightly taken aback by the combination of atmosphere um, and the, the the intense way that VRL started the game. So uh, and also ultimately the fact that they came back from it is going to stand Liverpool in incredibly good stead. You know, we've just talked about Manchester City, Kyle Walker being injured, having gone through that kind of a defeat. Um, heading into the, I was having a discussion with someone in the office very early this morning who was immediately looking to the fixtures for the weekend and going, "Oh God, how are City going to react to that?" Well, also, how are Liverpool going to react to coming coming through a difficult night like they did against Villarreal? Well, I'm sure it'll just stand them in great stead going into the big games that they've got coming up, coming up not only this weekend, but for the rest of the season. Ian, what did you make of that first half in particular and the way Villarreal were able to use their crowd and that atmosphere to come back into the game? Yeah, I mean, Tom's right. I, I was there and the atmosphere was was quite striking. Um, and certainly the team fed off that and then in turn the crowd fed off the team. Um, I, to say that Liverpool were taking a wait and see and didn't know what Villarreal would do, I think is slightly underestimates Jurgen Klopp. Um, anyone who has watched Villarreal in this Champions League know that for all that they, they really were awful in the first leg at Anfield, know that that 
Unai Emery will have a plan and it will be well thought out. And in the circumstances, it was likely to be aggressive from the start. Um, and they were taken aback. Now, I mean, there's a there's a small thing here. There's the weather. And I know that, you know, that, that it's the same for everyone. But the pitch was was absolutely soaked there'd been torrential rain all day and i do think that that was that was slightly unsettling in terms of the way liverpool's defense were anticipating things now that's going to sound like a really limp excuse but but you know i, I think certainly in the lead up to the first goal maybe maybe that played a part and and villarreal had a much a significantly better team because they had Gerard Moreno who was injured in the first leg and, and you know he was he was absolutely outstanding and he was able to stretch Liverpool and make the right runs and you know that's that 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 was a key factor and once and once they lost him then then they really did lose their momentum they didn't pace themselves ideally either they were absolutely shattered um, almost by half time, but then again, that's what they had to do, and 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 this and this is the difference. Villarreal are a medium budget team; they don't have a, a huge substitutes bench like the other three semi finalists, um, and and that told. And and unfortunately, you have to say, I don't know what happened to their goalkeeper in the second half, but you know that was he had a very very poor forty five minutes, didn't he? Yes, he did. He did. But off the bench, a very positive, good 45 minutes, a huge impact. Luis Diaz for Liverpool. Uh, we can talk about the goalkeeper if you want, Ian, but um, I think he changed the game more importantly for Liverpool. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he, I mean you know, what an impact he has had since he's joined. He's he's a terrific footballer and, and he's, he's slotted in so quickly, hasn't he? And... Uh, the contrast. Uh, Jota had a had a very ordinary first half, um, and uh, I think I think if you were uh, Diogo Jota now, you'd think mm, my chances of of starting in that in that in the final have have diminished. Yeah, uh, Diaz is terrific. He's he's fearless. He's clever. Um, he 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 understands how to work with Salah. And Mane, which is you know that's that's a very very developed relationship. So it's it's you know it's a challenge to pick up on their wavelength. Um, yeah, what a signing! And Tom Clark, it is time for everyone to have faith in Jordan Henderson because I think he had a huge impact on this game as well. He did. He had a big impact on the Merseyside derby. Um, he seems to have slightly been written out of the discussions for England midfield places in recent months when we've been talking about that. And I can remember us talking about it on previous pods. Yeah, he, he uh, when we were going back to our heated debate, shall we say, on Manchester City, if Pep Guardiola had had a player like Jordan Henderson to put on um, against Real Madrid last night, he would have been the perfect man for the job. Again, Ian said, don't underestimate Jurgen Klopp. Jurgen Klopp knows what an important role Jordan Henderson plays. And the balance that they have across the squad in terms of those little tweaks that they can make where the overall effect isn't dimmed, it isn't diminished, it isn't changed in any way, but you can bring on a Diaz for a Jota or you can bring on a Henderson for a Cater. You can tweak the little things and but have a massive, massive difference. That is 
one of the great strengths of this Liverpool squad, not just the side that they've got. And Henderson will play a huge role between now and the end of the season. We know his leadership qualities, but actually as a player, I think it's in these big games when he really shows his quality. Yeah, I thought he was he was fantastic, Jordan Henderson. Luis Diaz in particular. Um, it's a strange one. You know, so many people say about Luis Diaz, you know, how is how has he managed to settle in so quickly at Liverpool? And I think actually that goes down to the quality of recruitment and the clear defined coaching that Liverpool have. They've bought a player that they know fits that system. So he's hit the ground running in the way that Diogo Jota hit the ground running. If we all think back to when he joined Liverpool, because they've been bought for their style of play into a system that suits their style of play. It's such an important lesson in terms of, of recruitment. And Jordan Henderson just continues, I think for me to be that consistent player. Um, he, he looks really fit at the moment, back to those high levels from the last time. Uh, Liverpool won the Premier League and, and Champions League titles. And I think he's going to have a big input in their big matches from here on out. Just very quickly to say that those arguing that there should be a finals week for the Champions League and that the second leg shouldn't be a thing anymore. No, 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 no. That's that's the only argument I have. No, because Tom, we got some brilliant second legs here. We got the drama. They've taken away the away goal. They can't take any more. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't be throwing Tom in there and making listeners think that I'm one of the ones arguing for finals week. I'm definitely not. No, I'm no, completely no. with you. But unfortunately, the people who come up with the, these ideas in football don't necessarily uh, base it on any anything to do with the previous evidence on display because there are lots of decisions that have been made in recent years that uh, completely counter the idea of putting on both entertaining and uh, engaging football matches. So I, I wouldn't be at all surprised to continue to see enthralling two-legged quarterfinals and semifinals, and we still end up with a finals week in about five years' time, played probably in Saudi Arabia or somewhere like that. <laughs> uh, let's look ahead to the final, which will be in Paris. Um, I think we need to savour these things, as you point out, Tom. Um, Real Madrid, Ian, do you give them a... a what, what chance do you give them? I, I, I won't ask you a really loaded question. What chance do you give Real Madrid up against Liverpool? Just getting my pie chart out now, Hugh. <laughs> I have come up with a four out of ten, like, which I know is the kind of slightly wishy-washy statistic you just love. <laughs> but yeah, forty percent. Okay, I mean that is a, that is more than a chance that yes, I give. Yes, yeah, them. absolutely. Yeah, I think Liverpool will batter them. Actually, I think it will be a convincing win. Um, what what gives you the faith? Just everything that you've seen in terms of their Champions League pedigree. Um, <laughs> I mean, less so. You know, if you if you're gonna if you're gonna compare man for man, this Madrid team with the Madrid teams that won what four out of five up to 2018. Um, you know, the, those teams were probably superior on paper, and they had Ronaldo, which is which was a big factor. Is a big factor. Um, what the what they've what they've managed to do clearly on the way to the final is is significant um and as i mentioned earlier the, the existence of uh, a a successful plan b you know the the younger players off the bench um so i mean if they if they've got to retrieve a losing situation um you know they they're clearly pretty effective at that so you know maybe 40% actually goes up if they start losing to liverpool um uh and uh, you know i i i would have faith in 
the manager to make the right decisions. And, you know, fundamental, and this is basic, at the two ends of the pitch, they have really, really informed players. So if Courtois can play as well as he did last night and in the first leg against Paris Saint-Germain, you know, Liverpool might might find him very, very frustrating. And, you know, if Benzema can be as effective as he has been for most of the season, you know, th- there's a chance. Ian, just very quickly, I get the sense with that answer. And I was thinking about our previous show when I was watching the drama unfold last night and you slightly agreed with me that it wasn't terrible for City to have only won 4-3 as it now looks like it was. Is there a sense both with the kind of media in Spain and with fans that this side is continually surprising people? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because I mean, there's, there's a practical thing. The evidence of the league when they, you know, they've just waltzed to the title is it can't really be taken too much into account because it's not it's not a very strong league at the moment. Um, yeah. I mean, constantly surprising people. There were, you know, there was there was apprehension ahead of every stage of the knockout phase of the Champions League. Now, this remember, this Real Madrid the beginning of this campaign lost at home to Sheriff Tiraspol. Um, you know, so that's, that's, that's where they've come from. Um, it's, uh, it's not, yeah, it's, it's not a, it's not a vintage Madrid squad. So yes, you, you know, the surprises keep coming. So what do you think about that prospective final? Um, I am still probably slightly smarting with my Manchester bias. I'm sure a lot of listeners will be thinking he's a secret Man City fan. It's not. I'm from Manchester. I, I, I don't necessarily have the kind of ha-ha, let's all laugh at City thing that a lot of people do. I, I really wanted to see City-Liverpool, um, both as a journalist and as a football fan, thinking back to that recent game they played at the Etihad. So I'm still slightly smarting in that sense, and that'll probably influence my prediction that I think Liverpool will be in complete control and will win 3-1. Three, three, yeah, 3-1, three, 4-1, one, one. I, I think I agree. Why, why do you have that much faith in Liverpool? I just think that as we discussed their reaction to that Villarreal, and obviously, you know, the difference between... Real and Real Madrid is, is is huge but I just think in those moments and also if we think about that City game Liverpool City game where Liverpool were second best but they still came out with it with a point some of those things that you've criticised City for Liverpool don't seem to have they don't seem to flinch um, and ultimately with the title race as I'm sure we might briefly discuss in a minute you get the sense that if City are going to win it they're going to have to win every game because Liverpool won't slip up there does seem to be this momentum around Liverpool at the moment um, and as as we just briefly discussed with their squad and their ability to change things, whether it's Diaz or Jota, if one isn't working, the other one can come off the bench. Um, whether it's Cater or Henderson, you, you know those kind of changes. It all seems perfectly aligned at the moment. Only an injury can derail their season now at this point, and I think they're they are out overwhelming favourites for this final for all those factors. Let's talk about that title race you mentioned then. Whether City will be affected in the title race, they've got Newcastle at the weekend, then Wolves, West Ham and Aston Villa to end their Premier League season. Liverpool have a huge game this weekend. Actually, many people earmarking this as a potential, I was going to say banana peel, but I think Tottenham are better than that. Um you know, the, the game that they might slip up in, let's call it that. Um, it, it's at Anfield. 
I wonder if Spurs even have what it takes to stop Liverpool at Anfield. Let's talk about City very briefly to start with. Do you think they'll be derailed in any way by what happened last night, Ian? I would imagine that that um, Newcastle are going to are going to feel the anger. Frankly, I, I would I would I would back City because of their senior players, because of their manager to to go out and 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 flex their muscles. You know, against against a against a. Uh, a, a decent Newcastle team, but I, I just think I think you know there's I think it's probably backlash time. There, this is the thing about City for me. Um, usually they go on a huge winning run after they have a, a bad result. Usually, um, and I just think they're a team. This is what I was sort of referring to earlier on. They sort of play a heavenly style of football. They walk above the clouds. They sometimes get dragged back down to earth, but they never really realise that they're in the quicksand. That's what I I dislike about them. They don't have that sense of urgency in those moments where it's all falling down around them. They 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 don't have. It's not a panic. They shouldn't panic. It's the opposite to that. They don't then suddenly stir themselves and say, "Hold on a minute. Where's the stairway to heaven? Let's get back up there." They don't do that. Liverpool do that. Liverpool know. They 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 feel the match a little bit differently, I think, as a squad, as a manager, Jurgen Klopp, that the Manchester City do, and actually they get through those periods. They can ride out those difficult periods, I think, in a much more different and much more successful way to to Manchester City, which is why I believe that they'll be fine this weekend against Spurs. In fact, they'll be really buoyed by the fact that they. I think everyone will feel like the quadruple is on. And they'll get the job done against Tottenham this weekend, Tom. I think Liverpool will definitely beat Tottenham. Yes, I disagree. I think City might might drop points against Newcastle. I'm not quite sure why. Maybe because I've been saying ever since uh, the midpoint in the season that I didn't necessarily think they were shooing for the title. I hope I'm wrong. I, I would actually like, because as I say, I'm feeling a little bit sorry for Pep and City, as strange as that sounds. Um, so I hope that they can uh, prove prove me wrong and prove you guys right and come back with a barnstorming performance. But something something about that game, how Newcastle have played in recent months, I think it'd be a crowning glory in Eddie Howe's season if he was to pre- the performance that decided the title race. They weren't too bad last week. They haven't been too bad in their last few games, Newcastle United, even when they haven't got the result, playing really well at the moment. Um, Ian, very quickly, on Antonio Conte's Spurs, do you believe they can go to Anfield and get something? We're unanimous on this one, no. I think Liverpool will win. Really? No, I, I, don't, I don't think it'll be a hammering, but I think they will will win and, and be in control of of that fixture and uh, you know it's a small thing but but imagine imagine how liverpool manager players etc felt about last night they can only have been pleased about this and as you say you know the quadruple just looks that little bit closer doesn't it i think i think they'll be in a good mood and i think they'll dispose of antonio conte spurs I think Tottenham can get something. I, mean, I don't truly believe that they will, but uh, I, I, I definitely feel there is the makings of a shock here. Um, if Harry Kane and Hugh Minson, it does rely on them, can play to their absolute best, of course, I, I think it will be almost a backs-to-the-wall type of, of result, even if they get a draw at Anfield. I don't think they're going to go there and dominate the game. But I definitely feel like Antonio Conte has built a sense of togetherness, more of a structure, more of an aggressive side, more ruthless in front of goal. If everyone is playing at their best for Tottenham Hotspur, I think they can get a result here. Obviously, they've had more of a rest, which I think could be a factor too. I think it's a massive game. The only thing that I almost dislike about it is it's Saturday, 7.45 p.m. in the UK. 
Anfield under the lights. It's got that feeling of a, a Champions League game once again. I think the atmosphere will be difficult for Tottenham to cope with. I think it will be a tough game for Liverpool, but maybe that atmosphere will get them over the line. But I wouldn't be surprised if we're here on Monday talking about a draw and how it's affected the title race. So I've sat firmly on the fence there, but on Monday I will take the credit for whatever result there is. I, I think I've covered the board there. Um, Ian Hawkey, thank you for being with us. Um, not long left to go on the game podcast, but I'll leave you to disappear. We'll be speaking to Martin Ziegler about Chelsea next. Up next on the game podcast, we're joined by Martin Ziegler for an update on Chelsea. I do think we need to stay on top of this story. It is fast moving. There are so many different areas in which this is an interesting story, Martin. Um, we'll come to just the general what you think is going to happen next. But um, we were joined by Matt last time on the podcast. And as we were speaking, pretty much these stories broke over um, the sale of Chelsea, some big obstacles here. S let's start with this this loan that Roman Abramovich had at some point said he was going to write off. Is that now not the case and how does it affect things? Yeah, that that, that is the crux of the whole problem holding up the sale um, effectively. Um, the there's this 1.6 billion loan to it's to a company which we believe is sort of linked to Roman Abramovich, um, based in Jersey. Um, now the, those close to Abramovich say that they, that they legally have to settle that on the sale, um, and that he's not allowed to write it off due to the fact he's sanctioned. So, and, and then the, you know, the government, from their point of view, they, they don't want that to happen. They don't, you know, he's, he's, he'd publicly promised not to um, write the loan off, uh, not to pay the loan off, but to, to write it off. And um, the money would all go to, for good causes. So there's definitely an impasse. What's going on with the sale at this point in time then? Um, has this affected the, the bidders, the preferred bidders, and whether they would want to buy Chelsea? Also, news about those who have been involved working for Chelsea possibly staying on under the preferred bidders. How do you think that is all going to work in terms of repaying back this money, given that some of Roman Abramovich's, if you like, closest confidants are involved in choosing who the new owner is, but also could well be working at the club when there is a new owner? Yeah, I mean, I suppose it's not, it's not too unusual for people to stay on after a takeover. But I think what is a bit strange is when you've got Bruce Park and Marina Granovskaya, both long-time associates of Abramovich, they're, they're, they're going to be they're deciding on the sale. So they're deciding on the preferred bidder, and they've um, basically been assured that they can, that, you know, they will have their jobs by the the, the Bowley Consortium, um, which is the, the preferred bidder, uh, if that's. Um, if that is successful, so it, it does strike me as a bit of as a conflict of interest. I mean, for that, that I mean that's that, that's a, a sort of fairly serious issue, but it's probably not the the one that's going to stop it. I think it's getting past this loan problem is is the big issue, and I think that's given time for you know, Jim Ratcliffe, Ineos Group, to come in and try and make a late bid themselves, which they're insisting that's still going ahead. And we will just wait and see what if the government are going to make any sort of flexibility in terms of this loan, because I think that will hold the key. What can they do, the UK government here? And what is their position? Are they trying to do everything they can to make sure a sale happens as soon as possible? Or are they mainly concerned 
that no money goes to Roman Abramovich because if that is their main concern, that will hold up the process, won't it? Um, because there doesn't seem to be any way of guaranteeing that. Um, if that process is held up, what then becomes the future for Chelsea? I think the government's priority has to be the, to make sure that the sanctioning regime is, is respected and, and no money ends up in, in um, Bramovich's hands. Um, at the same time, I think they are sort of keenly aware that May the 31st is the deadline for the, for the license. And certainly by June the 9th, when the Premier League issues their shares to clubs for next season, that, that's a sort of an immovable deadline. I mean, the, the one possible avenue is that the government will agree that this 1.6 million doesn't get paid to the um, offshore company, but goes into a separate pot, which is frozen as well. I don't know if legally that will work. I think it, the Jersey financial authorities probably have to agree to that as well. Um, so it, uh, that, I think, is the only way around it. And there is one other issue then in terms of staying a part of the Premier League for next season. The clubs, the Premier League do need to decide on their members for next season. Will Chelsea still be one of them if this situation isn't resolved? Well, it's possible that the government could extend the license, the operating license that they're operating under at the moment. I don't think anybody wants to do that, though. I don't think the government wants to do it. I don't think the Premier League wants to do it. And I don't think Chelsea ought to do it. I think they want to get it wrapped up. So what happens then? Do we see a, a, ch a cheaper sale maybe? Because that's the thing, isn't it? There's a lot of money involved here. Do the UK government say to Roman Abramovich, they put pressure on him by saying, well, you know, these bidders have put forward a lot of money, but we can reduce that significantly. But it, it's one of those. It could happen, couldn't it? I don't think it's about the, 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 I don't think it's about the price tag. I think it's all, it's all wrapped up in this... Um, in this loan and the, you know this idea that all the money was immediately going to be available to the government to spend on you know, helping, for example, the victims of the war in Ukraine, um, and if it's if that, if if the loan goes into a frozen pot, that's not ideal because then they can't spend it on the good causes, the government, um, and that's not what they were expecting. So, it, 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 from their point of view. The assets are meant to be frozen. There's only special treatment of Chelsea because it's a sort of football club and means a lot to a lot of people. Um, if it was one of his other businesses, it, it couldn't be sold off. Um, it would just be frozen. So uh, I, I think it's that's why I think the government are very keen that this you know, that they can have all the proceeds as promised to spend immediately. We'll have more updates on this, but I do like to do a little uh, a gut feeling check on you, Martin Ziegler, just to make sure your gut health is all there. Um, gut feeling, is this going to be resolved in time? I think yes, because I, I think at the end of the day, the government will, will probably not want to um, be seen to be the, you know, the, the people who killed Chelsea. So, um, but I think they will certainly pressurise Abramovich's side very, very um, strongly to try and get him to write off the loan or at least give him the flexibility to write off the loan. We'll see if those uh, political machinations uh, will come to the, the fore. Uh, Martin Ziegler and Matt Lawton keeping you right up to date with everything going on um, with Chelsea at the moment. So make sure you download the Times app. You can check out those stories as soon as we have them. Martin, thank you for joining us on the game once again. 
Right, before we go then on the game podcast this week, there are some big games for us to look ahead to. More big knockout games. Two legs, that's what you want. Uh, League One playoffs. Um, Wickham against MK Dons. That is today as we speak. Um, Tomorrow, Friday night, Sunderland against Sheffield Wednesday. The first legs of the League One playoffs for a place in the championship. Remember, we've spoken, by the way, uh, to David Stockdale, the Wickham Wanderers goalkeeper. He told us about that final game of the season. I think just about everything came true in terms of what he said as well. They made it through. Tom, looking ahead to these games, they're just massive for the clubs. Absolutely huge, yes. And I, I, I'm glad you introed them with a hint to the Champions League because they'll, they might not be as entertaining football-wise, but I'm sure they'll be as dramatic. They're really, they're really tight to call as well in League One this season. I always talk about how fiercely contested the promotion race is in that league. But you've got four teams here who've all had their moments this season. They've had runs. Um, MK Don's probably the best of them. They nearly got automatic promotion. So it'll be a tough test for our friend David Stockdale and his team Wickham tonight. But they've got the home leg first, so it'd be a good chance for them to put a marker down, if you like. But the but the game on Friday night is is huge. Sunderland, Sheffield Wednesday, it's two massive, massive clubs. Sunderland almost certain to have a full house at the Stadium of Light, more than 40,000 there. Um but Darren Moore has quietly done a really, really good job at Sheffield Wednesday this season. Perhaps hasn't got the credit that he's deserved as manager. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see what happens there because Alex Neal took over as Sunderland manager t- towards the end of the season. Uh, they got quite a few late winners. Some people saying, oh, he's finally got the belief. He's got rid of that Sunderland um uh, paranoia if you like the jinx that they feel is over them when it comes to these big games in that they were getting these late winners um, others saying oh well they've just got they're, they're just on a lucky run so uh, my team Lincoln City of course beat Sunderland in the playoff semi-final last season again there were similar moments there where they completely choked the first leg um, and then in the second leg they couldn't quite get the job done so It'll be interesting to see whether Alex Neal has has truly got rid of that kind of hoodoo, if you like. Lots of Sunderland fans that I know have... have, I don't know whether it's a a hope or desperation or whether they truly believe it, but there's a lot of talk around them finally, finally doing it this season, um, at the very least getting to a final. So it'll be... There'll be two fascinating ties... Um, and I'd definitely be keeping an eye on, on them if you wanted more knockout action. Yeah, I think you definitely should. These are going to be intriguing, to be perfectly honest. I think the pressure for Sunderland, we spoke about it with um, some of those big games in the Champions League a little bit earlier on. I think it's almost good for Sunderland that their home leg is first because if things weren't going their way in that second leg, uh, they have absolutely brilliant fans. I just think they would feel the pressure a lot more. Get a good start tonight at home. Go to Sheffield Wednesday with nothing to lose next week. MK Dons against Wickham, really intriguing. Of course, MK Dons, great style of football. Wickham have that romanticism about their squad. We spoke about them being almost like a crazy gang with David Stockdale. So make sure you check that out right now. Um, Part one is out. There will be a part two to come. Thank you all for listening to today's episode of The Game Podcast. You can check that one out on your feed right now. Um, We'll be back on Monday, but remember, if you're enjoying the podcast, make sure you're subscribed. If you enjoy The Times or The Sunday Times, you can subscribe there as well. If you sign up today, you'll get yourself one month free. So check it out. It's thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game. I can't wait to speak to you once again on Monday where I've got a feeling something's going to happen in that Premier League title race. We'll see you then.
Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.